0: The whole London Games was just, it's like goosebumps thinking about yeah. Hyde Park and that kind of, the environment we had to race in was um, was amazing. I'm so privileged that I got to go and experience the Home Olympics. Mm. I mean, you do think what if this couldn't, hadn't happened, but I've never spent too much time dwelling on that because it's just, it happened and there was nothing I could do about it and we yeah. managed it the best we could. Um, and I think that's the race I'm most proud of in my career because it was, I got the very best out of myself that I could.
1: Well, a very warm welcome to the Supporting Champions podcast. My name is Steve Ingham. I'm a performance scientist by trade, having spent my career working with the best performers and teams in pursuit of improving performance. And the purpose behind these podcasts is to dig into the principles, the complexities, the subtleties of performance so that we can better understand this thing that drives us to reach for more, for achievement and for the rich experience of climbing higher. I'll be discussing these concepts with the people who've achieved, driven and explored and some who are recovering and reflecting on aspects of performance in real depth so we 're just a few weeks away from the close of bookings for the Supporting Champions Conference on the 19th and 20th of March two thousand and nineteen at the London Olympic Stadium. so if you haven 't secured your ticket for you and your team, then what on earth are you doing? The conference is unlike no other because we focus on sharing inspiring insights from the front line of human performance. We celebrate those areas that make a true difference to your performance, your team, and your system. This conference goes way beyond just technical. Why? Because our technical knowledge will only get us so far. We rarely lack for information, but the nuances of how we work are much more important and they're the ones that accelerate or potentially in the absence decelerate our own achievements. The key themes at the conference this year that we'll be focusing on are how do you sustain high performance? Does your team have a winning culture? Are you a completer finisher? Building collaboration, the future of the human technology interface. How do you negotiate with the opposition? What's your superpower? Uh, Problem solving for the underdog. A question whether medical governance in sport is an insurmountable frontier. Exploring with a panel, high performance culture, and finally, the wisdom of psychopaths. At the end of this episode, I will profile two of our speakers, Mike Collier and Ben Ashworth, who are sharing their insights at the conference. So in the meantime, get on over to supportingchampions.co.uk to book your place before it's too late. So this week's guest is Helen Jenkins, world champion at the Olympic distance of triathlon. In this interview, Helen describes her early career and how she transitioned from swimming to the three events of swim, bike and run and the importance of early career influences such as the legendary coach Chris Jones and training alongside world champion Leander Cave. Helen shares the exhilaration of winning the world title in 2008 and 2011 and in May 2012, just before the Home Olympics, Helen hit a rich vein of form. Her training was absolutely flying and at the World Cup event in San Diego, Helen produced one of the most dominant triathlon performances in the last few decades. As triathlon.org reported at the time, Helen crushed a world-class field. But then things started to unravel and injury struck her knee and her back, and she carried this in the lead-up to the 2012 Games. Managing this, Helen explores how she was thinking in the lead-up, in the moment and after the 2012 attempt that ultimately didn't go her way. But did Helen let that defeat define her or dominate her mindset? No, And it was truly uplifting to hear Helen reconcile this, make sense for amazing achievements and to think about her bigger purpose in life. I met Helen for the first time when she attended the Supporting Champions Conference in 2018. And she came there wondering what next and used the conference to seek inspiration for the next phase of her career. Because she had not long just had a baby with her husband and legendary triathlete and coach Mark Jenkins. And that's where we start off our conversation. Thank you for joining us. What an amazing 12 months it's been for you. Can you tell me a little bit about how it's been?
0: It has been an amazing 12 months probably a, one of the biggest changes. Um I've had a baby which is in 2017. And then had back surgery at the beginning of 2018, so I haven't been competing in sport triathlon for a feels like a long time now. But um, I've made some changes that hope with my back that hopefully will get me back to competing.
1: So I saw a, I saw a tweet back last year welcoming your little baby to the, to the world. But you said the hardest 48 hours. <laughs> How was that?
0: It was a really really long birth, but I think one of the hard things was um, I started throwing up so by the time we actually started to push for the last uh, the last bit I was um I'd completely bonked I'd run out of energy right. <laughs> I had nothing left <laughs> I was having glucose tablets and all sorts so I think that was one of the hardest things but um I would say I don't think it was as painful as my back surgery but people do say you forget about the pain so maybe that's why
1: yeah that's the oxytocin kicking in yeah. and everyone's yeah. everyone's in in love um so you didn't so you know how long a uh, a triathlon is but you you didn't know how long this event was so you got your fueling wrong. <laughs> oh,
0: yeah, definitely got my fueling wrong. I was completely empty. Um but yeah, I mean it's it's something I'd always wanted and after Rio um I was 32 so it seemed like the right time to to try. I could have gone for maybe a few more years but you you're just maybe leaving it. It's not leaving it too late, but it's just for me, it was the right time. And you never know after years of sports, I didn't know whether, you know, if I could never try to have a baby before, but we were really lucky and it happened um, pretty quick. And yeah, life's very different, but lots of fun. And we try and keep a, incorporated into what we're doing she's um she comes out in the running buggy with us and we tried her on the back of the bike but she's not keen on that (laughs) at all but um like mark does uh, my husband does a bit of swim coaching so quite often he coaches with her like strapped to the front and she loves it so um yeah it's been been a fun so been a fun sort of uh, 12 months since she was born
1: so can i ask you about how um how your training went during pregnancy. You still kept training for a while.
0: Yeah, I found out I was one of the reasons I found out really early I was pregnant because I'd been going really well in the pool. I was getting back into training after Rio and we were out in America. I was doing most of my swims on my own, but I could see my times getting better. And then I just had this week and I was like, I don't know what is wrong with me. Like, why am I going so slow? I was going out on rides and I was just like, I was starving like halfway through and stopping and buying like cookies and things halfway through. So I was like, I don't know what was going on and then found out I was pregnant. So um, I, the first trimester was, I was sick a lot. So actually, but I actually was, felt relatively fit throughout. I was able to keep, I uh, cycled on the turbo, kept swimming. And um, yeah, I was amazed that I could keep running like three or four times a week until about eight months. And then it was getting a bit too uncomfortable.
1: Right. Okay. So, and we, what was your guiding light there? Was it the comfort? How what you could do, what you couldn't do.
0: Yeah, comfort, um, heart rate as well. Um, and then I, I went over as well on the last, I was almost two weeks late. So, um, at that point, I was just a bit grumpy. So I was just walking at that point because I think I find for me, my, my mental health, my well being is a lot better if I'm going outside and active. Yeah, okay. So even if that's just a walk, then that's, that's what I'll do. It keeps me happy, it keeps me sane.
1: Yeah. And so, um, after the birth, how did you manage your your training back?
0: Well, I was really careful because i've I've had a lot of back back problems in the past. I've got a spondylothesis, which mm. is a slippage right at the bottom of the spine, which is kind of a genetic thing. I would' have had it since I was a teenager so i I was really careful went to see um a post pregnancy physio, had a check out and decided. I think I started doing um going on the cross trainer. And maybe the turbo about four weeks. And until then, I just carried on, like did a bit of walking. Yeah. Running, I didn't start running until my sort of core was a lot stronger. And that was maybe six to eight weeks afterwards, I'd say. And training went really well for a few months. So I was kind of took it really gradually because there was no rush to get back. And, um, but then I had a really few bad episodes with my back where it was kind of go right. and I, I couldn't walk properly for a week. So, that's when I had to make the decision to have the surgery. It wasn't about sort of training and fitness and triathlon. It was about actual life and being able to pick up my daughter, which I couldn't do at that right. time.
1: So. Okay. So there was, sounds like a marriage of of not only recovering from pregnancy, yeah. but also re- recurring or um, uh, pre-existing back injury or condition that, that's yeah. affected you.
0: Yeah, the back has been my sort of limiting factor since, well, I'd say probably... 2011 it got towards the end of 2011 it was getting kind of worse and then it affected me in london 2012 and then since then it's been since 2012 it's just been sort of management of sort of back issues and things So yeah. but we've we've managed it really well and a great team around me that helped me do that but it got to the point where these these kind of things were happening where you know, if you can't go out for a walk or you can't lift up your baby, then it's like, well, this isn't just about sport and trying to get to the next race in the best shape. It's about actually having an active life. And I was like, well, in ten years, in well, five years, ten years, fifteen years, I want to be able to go out out for a jog or go out on my bike. I don't. It's not about you know competing. If I can get back to competing at that level, the best level in the world, I I definitely will, and I'm trying to. But it's it, the decision to have the surgery was about like lifestyle rather than rather than just competing
1: right okay that's that's interesting so um when did you have the back surgery in january right
0: yeah so it's been it's gone really well a lot a lot better than we thought and the surgeon's really happy with everything and um, so yeah it's it's uh it's a wait and see at the moment it's really hard to make any goals because it's uh the recovery has to go to the to the back which is i find really hard because i love having a a plan goals and aims so it's I do find that uh, just we'll see what happens thing hard, but I'm having to, that's where I am at the moment. I'm having to cope with it.
1: Oh, okay. So, so you want to know what's the plan? What's the goal? What's the expected (laughs) steps between, between now and the future? yeah whereas every day is a bit of a review suck it and see
0: yeah well we have um a train i've had a training plan for the last um where are we now so the last sort of three or four months i like um mark's my coach as well and he works with our head coach ben bright and triathlon and they come up with sort of a plan and i kind of will follow that um but then it has to be always with me it has to be adaptable because of my back issues and I do so. There's certain times that load gets too much, and it's like, "All oh, right, okay, we'll, we'll drop this off or change this." So it has to be reactive. But I do like having a plan.
1: Yeah, uh, okay. yeah, to stick to. <laughs> right. So, how do you find that now? Looking forward in terms of you've got your, got your back surgery, um, in terms of the potential goals that you might be setting for yourself.
0: Yeah, it's, it is tough because things were going really well, say, a month or so ago. And I think you know, I started, I even like looked at the race calendar and I thought, you know, oh, maybe that or this. And then then things took a bit of a downward turn, just a few um niggles and things. So you kind of have to readjust. But I do find it hard. But then I think before the surgery, I, w- I didn't even know if I'd be this fit. I didn't even know I'd get to this level right. of fitness. So I have to take the positive in that and that little things day to day, like it used to, um, if I went, if I drove like a distance in the car, my back would really ache getting out of bed. My back would ache. I'd get quite a lot of, um, leg pain. So all of that has gone. So in that sense, I have to look at the positives and although I'm maybe not, not back racing or I'm not falling a plan, I'm like, but in general, my body feels so much better than it right. has done in years. So just take the positives really.
1: Okay. So, so actually looking back at the, at what's going well, in in comparison to how it was before the surgery even as well as the 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 progress that you're making along the way
0: yeah that's the big thing and i have to look at how far i've come i have a a few weeks where you know i have to take a bit of time off not do as much training and i think i look at where i am and i'm so much further ahead than i was a month ago or two months ago so it's trying to have that perspective i think when you're an athlete you're you're so like caught up in what you're doing at this moment. You have a day off, or you get sick or a cold. It's a disaster. But when you, if you actually look at what you've done,
1: yeah,
0: um, where you are, it's it's yeah, you're doing really well. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so it sounds like you've substituted the process goals of this is my power on the bike or this is my these are my swim times or these are my splits with um, I, c- I can now do this level of squat or I'm pain free in this position.
0: Yeah, it's. it's I mean, there's still. Um, I think one of the positives has been like using the measurables, like power. And that's what's given me a little bit of hope, really, that on the bike, my my power has actually been I've been on the turbo a lot (laughs) because I couldn't go out riding. On I couldn't actually get that flex to go out riding for my back. But um, my power has been really good. So I kind of use those sessions and work really hard on those specific things. And, yeah, the overall goal, I'm not able to have one at the moment. But just, like, look back and I think week by week I can get a little bit fitter. So... That's a good thing.
1: Yeah, fantastic. So um, take us back to the start. So how did you get into this world of triathlon? Um,
0: I start, well, I knew what triathlon was. My dad had done a few when we were young, and I think me and my sister went to do like an aquathon or something, right. but I wasn't really that bothered. I was swimming at the time, and I just, I loved swimming. All I wanted to do was improve and be a good swimmer, and it was, you know, it was never going to happen, right, in terms of I was never going to be an Olympic swimmer. Okay. So at the age of 15, I think it's kind of a drop-off time. A lot of people maybe stop swimming. One of the girls I swam with, her dad was involved in Welsh triathlon. They didn't have a huge amount of youth athletes, which was 15, 16. Short, I think it's still the same. Um, so we asked a few of us to kind of – he knew we could swim. He's so like, do you want to mm. do a triathlon? We've got a trip to Ireland planned, but we're having a bit of a trial. So to see if we could go to the trial, he took us down the local industrial estate. We kind of cycled round <laughs> on a borrowed bike, I think right. I was. We ran off it and then the fastest few got taken then to do a little triathlon so um yeah that's how it started and I think and he was great I mean he's a volunteer and he coached me for the first few years of my career as well so that was really nice he's actually back racing he's qualified for um I think worlds this year, worlds um, age groups and European age groups. So yeah, I still see him out on the bike and give, stuff. Give us a name. Oh, Chris Golden. His oh, name is yeah. So um, yeah, he got me into it. Really, he was my first coach, and yeah, we went from there.
1: Wow. So an early influence of of giving it a go, a bit of experimentation, but realizing that you've got some some skills yeah, in that area.
0: I think I'd, yeah, and I did well in my first few races. So I think that kind of gives you the a, a lot better than obviously I was doing in swimming. I used to get so nervous with swimming. So I think it was. Um, was doing another sport where there wasn't any at that time there was no pressure because like oh I'm just giving it a go and I think I have I had a bit more pressure then as I got a bit better I started putting a bit more pressure on myself but to begin with it was just something new to try and I really enjoyed it and you know you get to go outside (laughs) after years of swimming I
1: was going to ask you that about you know you mentioned the 15 year old kind of dropout rate is that how did you find the sort of variety compared with staring at the bottom of a pool
0: yeah I think I really enjoyed that and there was a group of us that started doing it at the same time so we had um you know we started doing like bike rides together and um, they were mainly boys but I think it was just having that sort of that I think there's five or six of us to start that with really yeah I really enjoyed it and the mm. that social element and then going down to the like the local running club and kind of it's the first time I've been to a running club as well and done that so yeah I found it I found it really good fun
1: mm. and so where did you get your first sort of early successes
0: um, I think I won the youth series the following year. So there's a series of about, um, four races. And I look, I say that now, and I think some of the young athletes, oh my God, that's amazing. I said, but no, when I was doing it, there was five girls doing it. Okay. If you look at the youth series now, and I think how far triathlons come, the youth and junior races, mm. they're so big and there's so many doing it. So there wasn't the level of competition at that time, but I did really well and kind of, uh, that kind of kept me kept me into it then.
1: And and we, when were you able to start doing this as a profession? When, what was the step change from this is a hobby, this is a pastime um, into actually this is serious now?
0: Well, I finished school when I was eighteen. I did A levels, and then I didn't want to go to university straight away. I fancied doing nursing. I thought I can't really split nursing and triathlon, and I wanted to try. Doing triathlon for a little bit. To see That's how. true.
1: You, you don't hear many nurses that are full time athletes on the yeah, side. Yeah, <laughs> well a lot of degrees
0: you can kind of, you could have split or kind of managed it. But I, like, I just didn't, and I just kind of wanted to give it 100% for a few years. And then I thought, well, I can go to uni later. And then I started earning a bit of money doing triathlon. But my first World Cup podium, I think I was 21. So yeah, between 18 and 21, I was earning a little bit. And then kind of 21, then started doing well at kind of a world level and went on to sort of funding then so that was um I was great I had a lot of help from it was called Elite Cymru at the time from the Welsh mm. from the, the Welsh Sports Council so it might have been I think it went up to like two thousand pounds one year so that was brilliant I mean it just took away like petrol costs yeah. um bike you know bikes are expensive so it just meant my parents weren't like forking out you know, a lot of money for me to do the sport, which, which really helped.
1: So what year was this? When did that sort of start to become um 2005 serious?
0: was the first year I probably earned, earned some, like in the world, yeah, got onto funding and um, earned a bit more money. But until then I was kind of doing a little, making probably a little bit, <laughs> yeah. enough to do, enough to get by on certain things. But um, yeah, I think that, yeah, 2005. I went to World Juniors in 2003 and came fifth, which doesn't sound that impressive. But at that time, there was um, the two girls that were, they were actually second and third or fifth. First and second, then went to the Olympics in Athens. So yeah. the level of that junior race was a really high standard. So right. it was like one of my, one of the best performances I'd had. And I'd, um, yeah, so I think that, that kind of... Uh, made me want to do it like full time.
1: Okay, so you could see that the people that were just in front of you were going to the to, the, to yeah. the top top rung.
0: Yeah. I think one of the big turning points for me to going into two thousand and five was I trained in Australia with um Chris Jones was my coach at the time. Mm. So he's um works for I think Welsh Athletics now for a little bit yeah, consult- legendary coach. Yeah I know. Amazing. Um so Chris was coaching me. I went to Australia, trained with like international athletes that were kind of leander cave was one she then when she was world champion in 2002 so mm. i think i was in with them i saw how professional they were the the level of commitment um, and i knew i could keep up with them in training sometimes not all the time and i think that was a big sort of turning point for me that um just what it takes to be the best and yeah able to kind of keep up a bit kind of mm. change my mentality a little bit
1: so how much of that um rubbed off and added to your psyche and mentality and approach to your training, or how much did that unlock that was already there that you've got you've got the resources and drive, but it just needed refinement. Yeah, well, I think okay. well, Chris, had,
0: you know, a really good training, he had a great training plan for me, and he used a, a lot a bit of sports science. Like I'd go in and do treadmills um, once a week from school. I'd always get late to school on that day. Where this is because he started coaching when I was seventeen, I think. Right, okay. So I did take lactics and so it was all quite specific and um, I think I just improved from having a consistent training program with a bit of, um, I mean, it wasn't completely science-based, but that sort of bit of direction, I
1: yeah. think
0: until then, you know, you go to running club, you run with them a couple of times, you go hard on the bike once a week and do whatever's on at swimming club. So mm-hmm. there's a bit more of direction to my training, but that went from 17 to 21. It was four years of, of me doing that to having any results. But You've just got to be patient and stick to what you're doing I think <laughs> yeah
1: okay so so talk to me a bit, a bit about your your world level successes um in terms of how you got to that point and how it felt
0: well I, we had um, a, a selection policy at that time to get into a world cup which was the highest level of racing at that time in triathlon we now yeah. have the world series and world cups are underneath but I wasn't able to start a World Cup, although I'd been racing really well and you had to get me to certain criteria and I remember being in a race in Australia and actually watching and I was like I was there was a space I wasn't able to start but I hadn't met a criteria so that's what it was. So I think there was there was definitely a bit of fire there like once I got into a World Cup but I wanted to prove myself and I went to Salford in Manchester and came third and then later on at the end of the year got third in a World Cup in Beijing. So mm. it was a yeah, it was a good start to World Cup racing for me. It was just exciting to be at that level and be able to get out there and race.
1: Where, where did the where did the success come from in terms of the components?
0: I mean, I've always trained really equally over the three disciplines, and I I think when I was racing my best, probably 2011. Um, I was world champion in 2011. That was a really mm. good year. Beginning of 2012. And I've had a few good performances over the last years, but I'd say my most consistent best racing was then. We've always been i probably not the fastest swim bike or runner, but close to the top in all of them. And I think that that's really helped me, but it's every athlete's different. I mean, if you're coming in with a bit of a weakness, then you do have to work on that, but it's your different coaches have different approaches as well. Some will really focus on the weakness to bring it all up, or some will focus on your strength to, to use that to its best of your ability. It's uh it is different. I love like describing like uh, Lisa Norden because she got silver in uh, London Olympics, that sprint finish really oh, close yeah. with Nicholas Spirig. But Lisa was horse riding until she was sort of 16, then came in and then started cycling and picked up swimming then. So you think, you know, we've got so many different routes in triathlon. It's not like maybe sort of gymnastics where everyone's kind of been a gymnast since they were five or six being right. through. It's, there's so many different ways that you can get into it, which I think is... Maybe that's why you get the sort of different age ranges and yeah, okay. maybe the different um, don't know different abilities.
1: Mm. So, uh, so 2008, 2011, world champion. Yeah, um, some incredible performances. I remember watching the the San Diego race and actually yeah, crushing the position. Best race ever. Was <laughs> it? Was it? So, tell yeah. me about tell me about how that that sort of felt and how it all got put together.
0: Um, well, I'd so say 2011, I was world champion and then obviously all the focus was on sort of London and doing well in London at that point so like through the winter had a, had a good winter but there was lots of like really strange niggles like um, I was getting spasms in my quads that of okay. cramps
1: and linked to the back
0: yeah they were linked to okay. my back a lot of um lower leg tendon issues like um, perineal tendon stability things um but training went really well and leading into san diego the race so we had a really good training block and things were really on track for london because we I'd doing a lot of running but we hadn't really started doing any sort of the really short heart stuff i'd just done a bit of fart leg and a lot of tempo stuff things and um yeah san diego went brilliantly i had thing i came out the swim first that kind of might have been helped by swim position (laughs) i had a really good start position right um bike we we rode really well as a group I wouldn't say my bike was fantastic but Yeah, getting onto the run. It was the best run I've had of my career. But I'd done a really... I'd done a high volume of running leading into that, the highest volume I'd probably ever done. So I think that kind of transferred over. But then after, pretty much a week later after that race, that's when my back went really bad. So um, from then on, it was kind of just a fight to get to to London.
1: Right. Okay. So from your your peak performance, it all started to unravel a bit.
0: Yeah. And it was a... After the performance it was a knee problem. It was a my, my knee was horrifically painful. I mean I couldn't bend it. I didn't really know what was what was going on. So everything was focused on the knee. And it wasn't until sort of twenty thirteen that we kind of figured out the back issue and um mm. had the back treated rather than the knee. And then that that sort of um yeah, that worked and, and calmed things down. And I was able to get back to competing. But yeah, it went from that amazing performance. And if I look at it now, we're a lot more um we've had to be to manage the load with my back we have yeah. to manage load we have to keep a really good track on how much volume i'm doing um tiredness levels like perceived effort of the session we have to keep a really good eye on that um whereas back then i don't think i was i was just sort of like just doing loads and hmm. not really too worried about it right okay but i think you only learn you probably only learn when something goes really wrong, and something went really wrong. So we had to learn from that and and manage things. But yeah, I yeah, it's
1: such such a truism, really, for outstanding performance. You, if if it's all really easy, you've never really quite <laughs> pushed yourself enough, or yeah. you're continually breaking down. You're not listening enough. Yeah,
0: yeah. So it's it's. um yeah, if I look back on that period, there was there was a lot of warning signs, but they were never big enough to think, "Oh, this something's going to go catastrophically wrong," <laughs> which it did. But. Um yeah, it was just sort of a series of little niggles. Which you look back, you can kind of piece it all together. But I don't, I don't, I do keep training diaries, like written ones. But even during that period, there wasn't that much written down. Whereas now, I have to be quite meticulous in okay. sort of following what I'm doing and keep an eye on things. That's
1: interesting. Then, so you you can look back with hindsight and think, actually, yeah, the the signs were there. Yeah. But can I have I heard you correctly in the sense that? maybe there's not enough to indicate the sort of severity of, of what you experienced after San Diego.
0: No, I don't, I don't, there was a lot of like the little things that are going wrong, the quad spasms. Um, I think that so. you, now we look back that they were all signs that something was going wrong with my back, but we didn't, you just didn't know. or didn't realize And yeah. I don't think you want to pay attention because you, all I was focused on was London. And it's was like, I was, you know, I'd visualize it in training and it's what you would think about. So, I think you just don't. You just carry on. You just crack on, and, <laughs> and just mm. you can deal with um, pain, aches and niggles, and just sort of um, and move forward. I think.
1: So you you mentioned London. How was it on the start line? How did you, how was your kind of mindset going into that?
0: Um, I look back now and I don't know how I did it. Like, how did I stand on that start line and actually dive into the water? Because <laughs> I look at the 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 build up had been so hard. I got um, the knee injury in in sort of May time. I didn't train properly for two, three weeks, like nothing. Then it was just a gradual build. And I didn't do hardly any sessions or running leading up to that race. So I I didn't think anything about the outcome. It was all about like process, you know, do this, do that. Because it was just, um, it wasn't, you weren't even able to think about um, any of that stuff. My husband, Mark, was always like, you know, you're still doing, you know, I don't think he talked about, the outcome of the race, but he talked about just delivering, you know, you're still in this good shape. So he'd he'd always like try and buoy me up, like say, you you know, you can do this, you can do this. And I think, um, the sports psych I was working with at the time, who's a good friend as well, Louise, she, um, she just said to me, race it how you would have raced if you don't have any injury. And I think that's what I did. And I think that was a massive, the swim bike would kind of nothing really happened too much. Anyway, it was a race that came down to the run okay. and I took the run arm like I would have done, if nothing you know yeah. if um i didn't have a problem so i think that but yeah it was it was horrible i mean the day before the race i couldn't run i was on and um, i had to take like painkillers like massive painkillers that like, the morning before the race so mm. and normally we hadn't really told too many people i think mean, people have worked it out that i was injured because i hadn't raced <laughs> since yeah. sort of april time so i think people obviously had worked out but i hadn't kind of put it out there and that was just to kind of try and manage everything as as well as i could
1: Mm. and so so your your mindset kind of going into it was what well, so yeah. many uncertainties so many things to be managing already before you're thinking about yeah
0: so I, th- I th- think yeah to to be on the start line I think was just deliver on what I can and my, I've been able to swim and I knew I was swimming pretty well so um it was only there was only a short period where I couldn't swim so it was for, and although there'd been a lot of pain like through the training I was able to to go and swim so um yeah. that was it was yeah I think just managing what I could manage at that start and not thinking about what could happen yeah. or any of those things so I'm amazed I came fifth <laughs> like when yeah. I look at it <laughs> yeah. so it's um yeah whenever I look at what I did into it I think yeah I and mean, it it took a while to get over it 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 did take a while um kind of but I've never thought I've never looked at it and gone, oh, you know, what if this hadn't... I mean, you do think, what if this couldn't hadn't happened? But I've never spent too much time dwelling on that because it's just, it happened and there was nothing I could do about it and we yeah. managed it the best we could. Um, and I think that's the race I'm most proud of in my career because it was... I got the very best out of myself that I could. Mm. But yeah, the, the crowd and everything, the whole London Games was just... It's like goosebumps thinking about yeah. Hyde Park and that kind of... The environment we had to race in was... Um, was amazing I'm so privileged that I got to go and experience the home Olympics mm.
1: so you said you spent some time processing it and, and reflecting is that is that almost in you know, with respect to the fact that there was such a, a good build up but then a lull and then the performance didn't unwind but there were so many positives to take from it
0: yeah I think it took a long time to take the positives from it um, as I went I didn't do anything I didn't race until f- April 2014. After that, so it was almost so it's almost two years later. So we, we had a, I had a big period of time off. We went on a big holiday with a lot of our friends. um Then the aim was, to, you know, or as always, start back training. You no, know, October, November, and I, we kind of thought like having that complete rest might sort of settle everything down. And I did start training and running again. And I think it was January, February time. And it just wasn't going any further. And so at that point we had to kind of go and investigate the the back problems and, okay. and look at that. And that took a few months to start, you know, 'cause to figure out. And um but he had a really great back surgeon who was local and he was like fantastic. Like really you know, if you had it's funny to say like fantastic surgeon, 'cause it's probably different from the average point person to and athletes, he was willing to try a few different things, like I had okay. quite a few injections just to investigate like what was happening, but we were at that point. it wasn't like you have an injection just to get better. it was like we had some injections just to see what happened to see if this was a route that we could follow and yeah, and then I think so my back was better by June July. well, better, I'd had a procedure done to help it, and then I started training again, but we did a lot of work at that time like with um performance lifestyle with the sports like to get over the to i say to get over london it wasn't that it was um it was a lot about how me and mark work together as coach and athlete being husband and wife that is obviously um comes up so there was a lot to work through for that and just refocusing and coming down to the basics why do you want to do triathlon um Mm. what makes you get up every day go out the door and train so it's really hard to get stuck into that negative cycle of thinking. So bringing it back down to what you love about the sports and that kind of thing. Yeah. That and what, helps what were your me.
1: conclusions? What did you, it sounds um, like it's almost a road to finding your purpose.
0: Yeah. I think, and I think everyone kind of, if they stop and think about it, you know, but it's really easy to get lost in the amount of training we do. Mm. And I do make sure I appreciate it a lot more now, but at that time it was, um, what makes you happy? What makes you doing? being outside? Uh, like pushing myself hard with training, going out training with Mark, going out training my friends. So making sure we incorporated that into what we were doing. Because when you're injured, quite often you don't, you know, you don't go outside as much. Yeah, you don't okay. get out with your, the your training group, you, you know, your friends, you don't go out and see them. So it was making sure I was getting back out and doing that. And then that led on back into like a normal sort of training program, but mm. finding out those things and realizing why you do it. I mean, one of the things that always drives me is improving more than actually, um, overall results i love seeing myself improve that that usually results in better races yeah (laughs) that helps (laughs) um, (laughs) yeah i mean some of the races i've had where i've come second i've actually been more happy with than um other races because i've than races where i might have won because i've actually thought that was a an amazing performance that was a and I'm really proud of how I'd performed. So.
1: Oh, wow. Give it's, us an uh, example of that. What were what, what the elements that you were able to pick out of um, of the performance as opposed to the outcome?
0: I did a race in Kitzball. So I think it might have been in 2011. Kitzball's nice,
1: though. Oh, yeah, it's beautiful. Do it you just enjoy, oh, was just, your, favorite, just enjoy a nice day out? <laughs> Favourite places to race.
0: And I came second. I was really close to... Um, oh, no, sorry. Actually, Madrid would be one of them. I think I was second or third. But like I, I rode so well that day. Like I'd swim, I, I was in a bad position in the swim, and I knew it. And I kind of managed to get myself out of it, and then rode really well. And we kept the front group away from the second group. And although I didn't run the fastest, I ran, I ran, run well. And I was like off that bike and doing all that on the bike. I was really that was one of the races I'm like most happy with. Mm. Rigid's always got happy memories because that's where I qualified for beijing olympics as well so i always liked racing there yeah. but and Kitspool, yeah such a beautiful place
1: <laughs> yeah well you yeah, that's right you, you talk about the dark dark elements or the difficult times but ultimately it's a privilege by the sounds of it
0: oh yeah and like i've been to so many different places and trained with so many different you know lovely people and i've had an amazing life in triathlon and i'm mm. so i'm so grateful and i that because I've performed well, I've been able to earn money and, you know, invest for my future and kind of retirement and actually think about those things where, you know, a lot of people just, just race and they love racing, but they never earn enough money to do that. So, uh, yeah, I do. I mean, it's come from hard work, mm. but I feel very lucky my body does what it does when I train. Yeah. So, and
1: yeah. where do you find the the pressure? Pressure of racing is potentially one thing, but, but finding that sort of drive and that motivation – to get up perhaps when it's raining all right you live yeah. in wales let's just <laughs> it rains say a it, lot. it does occasionally <laughs> rain here how do you find the the sort of motivation
0: um, i've never found it too hard i i there's never i can't really think of many i can't think of any days i wouldn't have trained just because i didn't feel like it that would never happen i'm thinking think of days i won't have trained because we've weighed up that are you you know you're a bit too tired there's that time where you're too tired and we've yeah. sort of balanced that and but I can't think of any days because I always think of the standing on the start line. You wouldn't want to be standing there thinking, could have done a bit more for this, really.
1: Right. OK. <laughs> so almost counting up the the times when you've quit or you've opted out. Yeah. When when you're actually there. Yeah. Right. And it's
0: it's so it's so I mean, everyone has times where they, they don't feel like it. And there has been sessions that I've had to stop or pull out, but I've always had to really weigh it up and think this is not the right thing today. But it's really hard to make that call. And that's sometimes the difference between an athlete that's done really well and an athlete that never quite gets there. And you think sometimes it's that ability to pull yourself back and do less. And that's really hard. Mm. That's what I've had to do over the last few years. I've always done less than probably what my competitors do. A lot of people will train sort of 28 to 32 hours a week, sometimes more. But I've... If I get to twenty eight hours, that's like really big week. I'm normally on, sort of around 23, 24 yeah, twenty for a few weeks. And um, so. why is
1: that? Why is that adaptation? Why is that? Why are you um, doing it differently from other people?
0: I think it's a lot of it's been my back problems. Okay. I haven't. I'm not able to hit that volume. Um,
1: but are you uh, not getting less? Are you getting less gain from that? Or are you finding that you are able to train Um, smarter in some ways?
0: I think you have to train smarter, and that's having help. Like working, we worked really closely with a physiologist, Lawrence. He's working with Mm. British Cycling now, so he worked with me really closely leading up to sort of twenty. Sorry, twenty fifteen wasn't a good year, but twenty sixteen, like in qualifying for Rio, that was. Um, such a balance, and that was definitely getting the best out of a small amount, smaller amount of hours, and training smart. So, mm. um, I'd always rather do more than I'm always being told to do less. It's a natural <laughs> negotiation, human state, isn't
1: it? I think I think the certainly for endurance sports where effort yeah. correlates with fitness, um, yeah. or training investment. Um, it's difficult to break that cycle mentally as much as physically. Yeah.
0: It's really hard. And I think that's the hard for me. If people say about, you know, you know, to do all these hours and training, stuff. Like, that's the easy part. Like training for me is the easy part. Being tired, getting up, doing it day after day. It's that's, that's easy. It's managing the injuries, the setbacks, changing plans. And I always found that really hard. Like I'd get like a niggle or an injury. And you think quite often foot or like lower leg. And that's a bit of the back stuff. Mm. Over the last few years, and then it'd be like, right, you are have to pull out of this race. So right, I need to email British Triathlon and say I've got to pull out. We've got to maybe cancel flights. You change the plan. You've got to let, let sponsors know. Say really sorry, like I'm not going to be able to race. And you know, but this, and then keep that positive thing. But it's okay. This is happening. I'm back into rehab, hoping yeah, to do okay. this race. And that's what I found really hard. That kind of you have to be really sort of like constantly upbeat for other people and and for yourself. And you think. God, this again. Okay, that's so that's what i thought. that's what I found quite hard. And that could just be me as a person. A lot of people don't care; they go, whatever, nothing I can do about it. But for me, I've always I try not to let the that side of thing affect me. But is I've had to do it so many times over the last few years. It's like I found that quite hard. The constant changing of plans and things. Right.
1: So, so the people that are invested almost as stakeholders in you yeah. in your performances, you feel a huge responsibility to to them. By the sounds of it.
0: Uh, I
1: think,
0: yeah, a huge. I do feel a responsibility to them because so, like, and I f- I feel so but so lucky as well that so many people have been invested in mm. what I'm doing and I've tried to be really loyal to sponsors I've had over the years as well. And I have, you know, over the past few years because I haven't really been racing, like I, but I've parted on good terms with the sponsors and you know I'm really grateful to them for supporting me. So, but the support team around me as well. It's just you know so many people are invested. And that's not, you know, that's, you've been in that position. You're not just Mm. invested just to, you're invested for the people as well, aren't you? I think to you want to see people do well when you're kind of supporting them. So I've always found that quite hard, but it is it is part of it. And it's one of those things I've had to learn just uh, when you're leading up to a race or getting ready for a race, that's something that doesn't even come into it. It's just about following the process because otherwise it can kind of, it can really take you off track.
1: Yeah, so that it sounds like you've got this quite almost diverse viewpoint of being quite socially connected to people, but but also having the mental skill or natural tendency to close that off once you are done and, and being able to nail a race and yeah. focus on that bit only.
0: I am able to do it and I, I have done over the years. And I think like saying to London, I was definitely able to do it to get that performance out. And it is, yeah, I see her like um mark raced as well as as an athlete he went to olympics in athens and we're both so different in so many respects and that's one of the differences like if something's bothering him he'll he will go over and over and and he can't sleep and he has to has to work on it now whereas i am able to go right put that away and sort of nail a training session or sort of get on with something so it's a good skill
1: (laughs) yeah so so for people don't don't know mark so athens olympics yeah uh mechanical or was there a crash with a bike uh, yeah Remind someone long someone
0: rode into him and um his back wheel broke his yeah. back wheel
1: broke and so that's a good illustration of how mark's dealt with stuff he's, he's got to deal with it there and then he 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 ran with the bike over his shoulder he couldn't even couldn't even push it yeah. for the last two miles um, and finished last to a yeah. massive massive round of applause do you ever uh, such a legend of of triathlon, <laughs> i remember it so clearly being there um do you ever get sort of two miles away from um, from home and think I've got a bit of a mechanical? You just carry that, please.
0: <laughs> I wouldn't dare mention it.
1: I think for him, it's like
0: it's a funny thing. Cause it's um, it's it's like the worst day of his career. Like he went to the Olympics and and had to run with his bike. I mean, you think he's I think if you were, if you got down to it, he's proud of himself for actually finishing because he could have just chucked it in because yeah. like I think it was his only chance at the Olympics. He's like, I'm not not finishing. I'm not having a DNF next to yeah. my name. So. But if if you ever get to know Mark, that's that is Mark. He would never. He puts a hundred percent into everything, and I think that's that's been a massive key to my success since he started coaching me in two thousand end of two thousand and seven. So his sort of effort, positive mentality has had a massive impact on my career. Mm.
1: And how have you managed the relationship, husband and wife? Yeah, coach and athlete. Um, how's how's the re- re- I don't want to get into sort of yeah. your own personal relationship, but how's the coach-athlete relationship?
0: It's um, it's it's really hard. Like a lot of people say, well, how would you do it? But it's always worked really well for me and, and him because I'm massively self-motivated. He can write down my training programme. I don't need him there for any of it. If it's a really hard session on the bike, on the turbo or something, yeah. I can do it without anyone there. I'm still going to – you might get a little bit more out of yourself if someone's there. I think that's always that hmm. little bit. But – um. Generally, I'll do it at the best of my ability. So he hasn't had to ever, like, come down on me for not doing anything.
1: That's um, good. That's yeah. Good. <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> that's, um, that's nice for him, actually. <laughs> yeah. And I think the the hardest part has been sort of the... when there's been times of injury, because um, he's so concerned. But as a husband and a coach, his concern is always as a husband first and how am I feeling? Can I, can I cope with this, the emotional things um, side of it? So... That's why Ben Bright's helps us massively because he can be quite often Mark will write the training, send it through to Ben, I'll speak to Ben about it. So we have that third person okay. and that really helps. At the moment we don't because it's you know, I'm in a period of sort of rehabbing and Ben's very busy with, you know, trying to prepare for the next Olympic Games. So mm. but if I get back to the level where I need we need a bit more input, then Ben will be brought back into that as well. Uh, so. Okay. The the biggest thing that's helped me deal with injury though is is having. I think having people around that are able to help us cope with that. Yeah, <laughs> definitely.
1: Okay, so leaning on other people and the support system, whether it's friends or professionals.
0: I think so. Support system, um, having a good plan of of rehab. I think that's because as an a- as athletes, we're quite used to having training pl- programs this is for everyone as well, whether you're sort of competing at an amateur level, you have a, yeah. a goal and a way you want to work towards it. If you can't do it, it's, you can kind of get very lost quite quickly. So it's having a bit of plan for rehab. Um, like what, when are you going to do your rehab sessions? When are they going to fit in? If you can't go out and do your run at that time, maybe go for a walk or even just get out and do something. So mm. it's not, doesn't feel like such a, a loss. And so as like, I mean, it's happened to me. It, it happened for rehab. I got sick. Uh, on the way to Rio and didn't race as well as possible but it's really hard for me but it's hard for anyone imagine you put in all that training for an Ironman you fit it all around work family and then get sick the week before it's a it's a really hard thing to deal with for anyone so I think it's it's uh yeah dealing with injury and rehab and that stuff is is something that I've got a lot of experience with.
1: Yeah I was at a session not long ago talking about resilience and someone said how do you develop resilience I said take up sport yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. do you have a, a a way of bouncing back because as you say there's, there's you know very few people who in, in fact probably nobody not even same Bolt there's just one all the time they've always had setbacks yeah. how do you how do you deal with those
0: um I think there's a few steps for me um setback is and a lot of this was learned from the build-up for London really you have to have a plan of what you're going to do the Rehab terms. Obviously, that plan has to be flexible. All plans do because it's going to change. Um, I think then if, if a race or competition doesn't go well, it's, it's just, it's no, for me, it's knowing that I did everything possible right. Okay. All the processes leading up to it have been right. And that's the big thing for Rio because Rio didn't go to plan, but I had such a good training camp leading up to it and everything had gone really well. And I think if that had enough, I had to take the positive from that that. I've done everything possible to do it, and it just that sport. Sometimes you just know, think completely out of your control is going to knock you out of it. And I think, yeah. and just even knowing that, but knowing that you've done everything you can, you've done your best. That's what really helps me. It's just mm. having that kind of when I go to bed, I'm like, you know, you did everything you could. Yeah, <laughs>
1: that's well, I love the fact that you you potentially can frame some of your didn't wins. As almost superior to the ones that you did win, because often sometimes when people do win, yeah. everything's perfect, everything 's crystallized around that success, and it and it might ingrain behaviors and methods yeah. that don't work necessarily
0: no it's I think you just say you learn more from the bad experiences, don't you I think than the good and I've learned from the bad experiences I've definitely learned that resilience, and that's helped me in in other races and and training method and everything so yeah, I think it's, it's a really, the resilience is such a hard one. I think some people are just, I don't want to say you're born with it. I think, cause I think you can develop it, but some mm. people always just deal with it better. And I think coming through a swimming club, swimming with young, young swimmers from such a young age, I can spot it a mile off. You can see the kids that, that might do well. And I wouldn't say you're always going to, always going to say it's going to translate to long-term success, but you can pick it. It's, it's quite tangible, and I say, and they always say that. Like, how do you how do you pick success? Watch it. Watch people train. You got to watch watch them train for a few days, and you can normally pick the ones that are going to be good, and the ones mm. aren't. Might not be the best one, but their resilience in dealing with things and how they cope with a session, how they interact with the coach, is a big indicator.
1: Yeah. Okay. And what are the kind of qualities that you you spot that you think, yeah, that's You've got it.
0: I'm always thinking of it in terms of endurance sport. You throw me with a bunch of sprinters. <laughs> I have no clue. Who yeah. is the loudest one. Who's so
1: yeah. <laughs> <sprinters>. um, <laughs> got the biggest strut. <laughs> yeah. Uh,
0: and the loudest music in the gym. Um, I see the ones that always work hard. Like they might be the first ones into the pool. You know, session starts at what? Half past, Save this in the morning, session starts at half past five in the morning. They're in at five 30, not messing around with the goggles a couple of minutes later. Um, they're the ones that quite often our our old coach he'd left he's left now um he'd give us an option of sessions and most of the time I'd say ninety percent of the pool would pick the harder session and it's just little things like okay, that you see interesting. and I'd say interaction with the coach like the, there's that bit of respect as well and that you actually do do what they say and listen that's quite a, for younger athletes that's quite a big one
1: and and as you get older does that, does that change are you more sort of inherent to the decision making um for your own training now
0: uh yeah I think that does change but I think ability to I think you you do have to respect the coach and then as you get a bit older yeah you you have to for me I'd, even if I didn't quite respect the coach I'd still if they were writing a swim session or something which happens on, on triathlon camps you get like someone writing a session it's their session so you you commit to it because it's what's there yeah. a but yeah, I'm definitely a lot more involved in the decision-making, but I'm not someone who wants to write my own programme. I'd rather someone else write it, me say, ask questions. I want to understand it, but that's just a personal preference. It's different yeah. for different athletes then. Mm. But yeah, as you get older, you you are involved. I think it's good to be involved. Yeah, For me, I want to understand why we're doing something and yeah, how it's going to help me.
1: So that industry, being able to you know, commit to hard work, but tuning into sort of the... The know-how and the understanding of why you, why you are doing what you are doing, so that you are able to process it, live with it, do it at yeah. a, a high level.
0: And for me, it gives me confidence as well. That I, if I've done a certain session, I think, well, this is that's why that's going to help me on my run, or that's why that's going to help me on yeah, my okay. bike. That gives me confidence. Training for me gives me the most confidence. If I have consistent training, like I'm, I know I am, I know I am good, mm. and that's always been the way for me. It's like if I if I know I am, well, um, you get confidence from racing well. But I know if I've put in a good block of training and I'm like, I'm t- hitting certain times, then I'm like, yeah, I'm good for racing.
1: Do, do you have a mantra that you can live by for your sport?
0: Um, a mantra? Um, I think for me it's, it's always, oh, it really, sounds really childish, but it's just it's always doing my best. And I think that's so relevant for me at the moment because sometimes doing my best is not doing anything at all. Letting my body heal and adapt to having screws and plates in it. <laughs> so it's yeah. is that's such a big one for me, and relevant when I, I like to speak at like a few schools or primary schools, and it's always just just giving a hundred percent effort in whatever you're doing because it doesn't matter. Like I was never the fastest when I was younger. I was actually pretty rubbish at everything in, in school. <laughs> no good at team sports, but <laughs> as long as you're putting effort in and it's the best you can deliver. That's such an important thing. And that's why, say, so that resilience, I've been able to come away from certain things and say, but I've done, you know, 100%. I've given everything. Yeah. So I know people who haven't made, haven't made games or haven't made, um, made certain, you know, or done really badly. And it, you know, it can really affect you. It can really sort of take you out of the sport. But I've been doing it for such a long time now. And it's, it's always just trying to do whatever I can to get to the next level or improve.
1: Yeah don't think that's childish at all I think that's yeah absolutely the essence of what sport's all about yeah it's,
0: it's just it feels like something you say to your kid do your best on sports day and that kind of thing but it's yeah. it's so relevant and I then yeah it's something that's um helped for me
1: yeah do you find that that spills across into other elements of your life
0: yeah I mean it's it's definitely in more of a transition at the moment so I mean even before the well, when I, ha- I was thinking about having the surgery, it's like, well, I'm not. If I'm not having the surgery, what? I'm competing's not an option. So, what am I going to do? So, I've definitely been kind of over the last few months. I've I really want to get back competing, but I'm also trying to think about what what do I want to do next? And okay. it's I need to do something with uh, something I like because I, l- I like doing what I do now. Mm. Um, it has to be something I want to do. And something with that, where I can maybe see an outcome, something to work towards. Mm. So I think it's.
1: What might that be? What's really, next yeah. for kind of beyond sport, regardless of whether you're competing? Yeah, again. I
0: really don't know. I did um, EIS Skills to Win on the performance lifestyle side, and I really enjoyed that. And I love that element of the sport because I think, well, athlete welfare has obviously been a lot more of an issue over the last few years. Yeah. And I think it's, and I think i've got a good viewpoint because i've been to olympics and and haven't performed and and seen what that can and how to deal with thought of that emotion and effect and if i can help anyone get through that i'd love to because Mm. it's i know performance lifestyles not just about that but um yeah i like that side of it i'm thinking about coaching as well i love working with some of the younger athletes there's a girl that i um that i swim with and she's kind of a young triathlete and we do some turbo sessions together and i kind of really because i can't really go out riding so much at the moment so I enjoy kind of doing that thing so I'm just thinking about it and I've got you know I've got a good bit of time to to sort of decide so it's just yeah keeping options open really but yeah I just want something I can kind of work hard at really
1: yeah fantastic well thank you so much for sharing your insights and congratulations on everything you've uh, achieved (laughs) but also how you're framing things positively drawing the successes out of things that don't look like they were successes on the surface of it yeah thank you So Helen was an absolute delight to talk to, a a calmly awe-inspiring person to connect with. You can follow her on Twitter and Instagram at helljinx, that's H-E-L-J-I-N-X, and check out her website, helenjenkins.co.uk. Now, I promised you that I'd profile a couple of the speakers for the upcoming Supporting Champions Conference in a few weeks' time. First up is Mike Collier. Mike has spent the last 15 years immersed in human performance. He's held numerous roles in elite sport and the National Health Service and supporting the 2009 Formula World Champion and McLaren Honda driver Jensen Button for almost a decade. Mike currently heads up the human performance operation at McLaren Applied Technologies and is a fascinating guy and will be talking about the future of the technology human interface. Next up is Ben Ashworth. Ben is a physiotherapist of the highest order. Not only is his technical skill truly world-leading, but he's also extraordinarily gifted in craft skill. His ability to work with others is as high as I have encountered. Ben has experience of working in the brutal world of Olympic judo and recently spent seven years in the pressured world of premiership football at Arsenal Football Club. I think Ben is just a superb human being and I'm sure you're going to enjoy what he has to say on sharing his insights in the need to work smart as a completer finisher. So some fantastic speakers, I'm sure you'll agree. So get on over to our conference page on supportingchampions.co.uk. You've got just a few weeks left to secure your place at the March conference. I guarantee you won't be disappointed. So you can follow us on Twitter at support underscore champs and me at Ingham underscore Steve. And you can follow us on Instagram, Facebook and YouTube. So don't forget to subscribe through the website. And if you're feeling like supporting and championing us, then please do leave a review on iTunes.